Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here today here at First Christian Church. Uh, to everybody here in the West, to everybody in the East, and uh, those watching online and our friends down in Lovington, I'm very glad you're with us. My name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team, and I'm anxious to spend some time with script, in Scripture with you today. If you'll take your Bible and turn to Revelation chapter 21. So it's almost at the very back, one or two pages from the back. Uh, I do hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Leslie and I and, and our family have, um, we've had our family all over the country for Thanksgiving this year. And so we've had a lovely time. You know, when, I, when, when we were sitting at the table chatting about this, that, and the other, I, these are the things that I'm thankful for. I'm thankful that, um, first of all, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That in the midst of all the stuff that I might face or you might face or at the very core of who I understand myself to be, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Secondly, um, for us, in our stage in life, I'm really thankful for grandbabies. We have three of them, and I don't know if you know this, we have another one coming in January. We have another little girl coming in January, so we're going to have two and two, like two boys, two girls, if you weren't able to figure that out. And um, we're looking forward to that. I'm also thankful for water. I love being on the water. This past year, our whole family, with the grandbabies and everybody, we went out to North Carolina. We had a house just like a block off the beach, and so we'd go to the beach, and we'd come back, and we rented it. And we don't own it, but we'd rent it. And then we would play in the pool. It was a lovely time, and I'm really thankful for all of that. I hope you also had some moments to give some thanks to, the, to God for all that has happened in your life and all that you're experiencing right now. So today... We're going to come to the end now of our 13 weeks through uh, the scriptures. And uh, as we've been working through this in the last 13 weeks, everything we've done up until today has been in a rearview mirror. We are looking in the mirror, going backwards, and uh, for the most part, everything is, well, it's all at least 2,000 years old, if not older than that. And um, Today, though, we're going to look through the windshield of the car in front of us, and we're going to see what might be coming. And this is the first time we've done that as we conclude our time together today. I want to remind you of what we've said is taking place in the big meta story, the big overall story of Scripture. We start with the book of Genesis, where all is well. You get to have just a couple chapters into the book of Genesis and sin enters the picture and it becomes disgusting and ugly and you've got murder and you've got mayhem and all sorts of stuff and it reaches this peak when Jesus Christ comes along and he provides redemption for all of humanity and grace is brought uh, to the world through him and we are on the other side of that moment waiting for the day when all will be well as we see in the book of Revelation. And so I would like to have you read with me what that's going to look like in Revelation chapter 21. We're going to begin at verse 1. We read this. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now what's going on here is, remember when, when we said that this um, big ark occurred and that sin entered the picture, at that point heaven and earth as we know it today was marred. And we'll come across the scripture here in a few minutes about how all that is in a mess. And at the, in the days ahead, after the second coming of Jesus Christ, all of the stuff we know right now is renewed and made new. And so John the Apostle, one of Jesus' um, closest disciples, he's an old guy. He's probably about 70, 75 years of age. This is 30, 35 years after Jesus has gone to heaven. And he's, he's getting a vision for what the future will look like. He says, I saw the first 
Heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. This, this city that he, 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 he frankly doesn't have language to describe everything he sees. This new Jerusalem right here, um, in another place, he, he describes, he gives us the width and what, what kind of the dimensions of it. And if you put it in our terms, he sees this cube coming down out of heaven. Now, I don't know how this works, but it's 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, and 1,500 miles high. And I don't know how everybody lives there, but there's, I guess, strata or something or other. And this is, this, friends, is the eternal, this is eternity for the followers of Jesus Christ. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with him, with them. They'll be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And look what God does in this holy city, in this place that you could say is what we would know as heaven. That would be our nomenclature for this. God will wipe every tear from their eyes There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Now, again, I want to be careful. You don't say, well, heaven's going to be 1,500 miles square. Now, I'm not suggesting that. In the ancient world, uh, the perfect form of any body the ancients considered was a cube. So he, he doesn't have language to describe this. He just says, there's something there that's unbelievably perfect, all right? And in the midst of that, God is there and God is wiping away tears and mourning. Verse five, he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. So we're starting over. Write these down. These words are trustworthy and true. It's done. I'm the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. They'll be my, I'll be their God and they'll be my children. And so you have this picture of stuff that, well, who are we kidding? We don't really understand it, do we? We wonder what's going on here and we think, how is this, um, how is this going to work? Uh, first of all, I want to say that we, we must be mindful. This is the place of eternity for all the followers of Jesus Christ. But beyond that, we've got some questions. I do at least. Because you and I are, are standing in time at the end of 2019 and 2020 is in front of us. We know yet to come is the resurrection of the dead. We know yet, which is the second coming of Jesus Christ. We know there's a final judgment coming. And we want to know, well, how do we get to Revelation 21? And here's what I can tell you, friends. At the final judgment, which is yet in the future, when all of humanity will stand before God and give, have to give account for their deeds, Jesus Christ, for his followers, will stand in between the judgment and God and say, that person right there, that person, She's covered by my grace. He's covered by my grace. That person, I've got, I got this one. And if that's you and me, if we've made that decision to follow Jesus Christ all is well, there's no hell. We are not ascribed to hell. And what, how we live our lives, yes, it's important, but it's whether or not we are covered by the grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ. But I think apart from that, we still have questions. Well, how do we get from here through the second coming of Jesus Christ, through the judgment, to this moment in Revelation 21. Because you'd say, well, don't you have to die to get there? Yeah, death is the vehicle. And for, for the majority of humanity, I say the majority, death is the only way that they will get to the place called heaven. But does that answer all the questions you have about the future? 
It's easier to talk about the past, isn't it? Because we've got some history, we've got some stories we can read about the past. But moving forward, you go, how does this work? And particularly, how does it work when you go to a funeral and you've been in funerals where you've heard the, the pastor or the preacher say that so-and-so died in Christ as in, and is now in the presence of God, seeing Jesus face to face. And yet you go, but there's still the resurrection to occur there's this, with Jesus' second coming. There's still the, the last judgment. How is it that they're already in heaven seeing Jesus face to face? I want to give you a plausible response to that, okay? But as I do so, I want you to be very careful that... Um, don't make up a treatise about this. Don't, don't make a theological statement about this. this is a, these are more some questions that I want to ask myself because the Bible says that to be absent from the body, that if we were to leave our body, we are with the Lord. Well, how does that work if there's been no resurrection? Read with me. It's going to be on the screen in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says this. This is at the second coming of Jesus Christ. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. So this is Jesus' second coming. And what happens at Jesus' second coming? The dead in Christ will rise first. But you go, but I thought that if somebody dies in Jesus Christ, they're in God's presence already. How is it there? How is that going to work if they're waiting for the resurrection? Then after that, we who are still alive and are left, these are the ones who are alive with the coming of Jesus Christ. They don't die, apparently. They will be caught up together with them to meet in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus will be with the Lord forever. That's where you get an understanding of the rapture. And therefore, you're supposed to be encouraged with one another. Encouraged with these words. We're going, I don't understand it yet. Well, can I give you a plausible response to all of this? Again, don't go home and write a theological paper on this, okay? We know that in the beginning of, at the beginning of the scriptures, God created the cosmos. That's the Greek word, the, 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 the entire universe. And part of what he created, part of what God created is time. Time is a portion of the created order. God lives outside time, lives outside, not only outside our, our space and our universe, but the universe is how time is measured, right? We measure time by the times we go round and round as we, the earth rotates on its axis and it goes around the sun. 365 days is a year, and then that's measured in terms of light years, of speed, light traveling, and everything is based on time. All of that is part of the created order. But that's really only two-dimensional, if you will, going forward and sideways. What's interesting, though, is that if God is outside of time, it may be the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh dimension, then time no longer exists. And so I have this question. Again, don't make this an axiom. This is a question. Is it feasible that while we are in 2019, that the followers of Jesus Christ who have died have already been through the second coming of Jesus Christ, the resurrection, the final judgment, and are already in heaven? How else can you account for the fact that to be absent from the body is to be with the Lord? A question. You can chat about that at lunch, okay? In other words, there's some things that I don't know. There's some things because we're looking forward. Going backwards, you can say that's what happened. But looking forward, we don't know. Here's what I do know. There's a day coming. There's a day coming when all the followers of Jesus Christ will be with God and all will be well. Scripture puts it this way. That the whole creation, the whole, again, the, language, the Greek word is cosmos. The entire cosmos is groaning as in the pains of childbirth waiting 
from, from, from back in Genesis chapter three, when sin entered the picture and everything got messed up, all of creation has been waiting for the day when Jesus Christ returns and all will be well again. And he says in that passage, Paul the Apostle says that not only is creation groaning, but we ourselves groan inwardly for the redemption of our bodies. There's something deep within us we're going to go, when, is all, when, when do I get to see all this? There's deep down within you. Isn't there a place where you go, when do I get, when do I get to see my great-grandma? When do I get to see my friend who died in the second grade? I want to know how that's all going to work out. There's groans down there that words can't explain. So we have some legitimate questions about how this is all going to play out. We have some legitimate questions about the timing of it all. I would suggest, friends, where if you listen to a podcast or watch television and some preacher says that this is going to happen this way and this way and this way and this way, I would say back away. Do not send money. You know why? When I hear somebody speak with that kind of authority, I go, man, you know what Jesus said about the timing of all of this? The, the, the Savior who came for the world, the one whose grace we are relying on, said no one but the Father knows the details of the end of time. So if you hear, hey, this is how it's all going to work, I'm going to go, mm, bad theology there, bad theology. What, what Paul the Apostle put, puts it this way. He says that we look, we're looking through an opaque window. Uh, you know, like a bathroom window. There are shadows, there's light there. You can see something moving, but you don't... We, we're just looking at shadows. And we're missing some details. We do know some things. We know from Revelation 21 that all the followers of Jesus Christ will be there. We know from something else Jesus said that, for example... There's no marriage in heaven. And I know we have a whole group, subset of Christianity, kind of a cultish group that has all these people marrying one another in heaven, multiple partners. No, none of that. Jesus himself said, there's no marriage in heaven. I've asked Leslie to come and tell this story. She, she okay, I've kind of convinced her to come tell the story right now. He thinks it's funny. I, don't I think, think it's, it's hilarious. So many of you may know that Leslie and I were married when we were in college. We, had, we, uh, we got married. We still had two years of school left. Where did we begin? Right. So, so nonetheless, um, we were in a setting with some friends and there was chatter about this business of being no marriage. And I happened to leave in heaven. And I happened to leave the room and a fellow came up to Leslie. Well, he was from the South, so he talked like this. <laughs> and he said, excuse me, Miss Leslie. And I said, yes, can I help you? And he said, um, I need to know, is there going to be marriage in heaven? I said, well, I don't think so. According to the scripture, I don't think there is. He said, well, that's good, because I've asked Jesus to put my mansion next to yours. <laughs> he was never allowed in our group again. Incidentally, uh, it's bad theology to say that we have mansions waiting for us in heaven. Uh, that bad theology comes from two sources, probably. It comes from, in John chapter 14, there's a passage of Scripture said that Jesus says, as he's talking to his disciples, and they're worried about the future and whether or not they get to go to heaven, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And uh, since you believe in me, you need to know I'm going to prepare a place for you in my Father's house are many rooms. 
Verse, all the translations of scripture that translated my father's place are many mansions. And that's really not an accurate translation of the Greek. So one, of the, one, one is because of an old translation that some people have paid attention to. It says mansions and it's not really accurate. The other is because um, there used to be an old song. Some of you may know this, right? Do you know this song? I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow and someday yonder we'll never more wander but walk on streets that are pure as gold we sang it in church hundreds of times bad theology <laughs> seriously seriously I, I would suggest friends I, I don't worry about mansions when I get to heaven. I'm not worried about whether or not I get a mansion. Here's what I wanna know. Am I ready for the judgment? And am I covered in the grace of Jesus Christ now so that I get to go there and I get to be a person who worships? See, I have this conviction about what happens when we get to heaven. We get to have conversations with the people who we know and some who we don't know. Like, um, I, I wanna have a chat with my grandfather. He died um, in, in um, probably 15 years ago. I was visiting with my aunt about him just this week. He was born in New Zealand, lived all of his life in Australia, died in his mid-80s, and um, I want to have a chat with him about this, that, and the other family stuff. And um, I wonder what he's going to look like. How will I recognize him? Uh, will, will he be a robust picture of male physique specimen at age, say, 61? Or will he be 25? I don't know. I think this, when I get to heaven, we'll be working in heaven. The scriptures say that we'll have jobs to do. I want to have the, I want to have the contract on, on uh, selling name tags because I want everybody there and I want to get, and there, there's, there's, somebody's going to make a mint at that. Maybe if I could be serious, could I put it this way? I think that all of us have this uh, experience in life where there's this continuum of life experiences. We have on one side these moments of absolute joy. Excuse me, you know, moments like um, Thanksgiving. And the family's gathered around and there is chatter about, hey, the baby's coming and we've got three already. Or there's chatter about the great vacation we had. Or there's chatter about the really cool things that happened in our life in the last year. And that's really sweet, those moments of great joy. But who are we kidding? There are also moments of tremendous sorrow. And moments when we go, man, there's the, the sense of loss and grief, mourning and pain that I have right now. And it's not just a death, but sometimes it's regretting our physical, you know, we've got illness, we've got situations at work and, and we say goodbye to friends and it's just like, man, the loss is awful and there's something within us that says, man, I long when I'm way out there, I'm longing for the day of, um, well, what we've been saying, what scripture is all about, this picture from all is well to all is well. We long for the day when, man, it's all gonna be figured out and there's gonna be no more death no more crying, no more pain. You know, when it comes to death, I've had the honor to be asked to conduct a lot of funerals in 34 years of pastoral ministry. 
I went back through my records this week and um, at a minimum, it's 10 funerals a year. Some, some years it's up to 20. But say at 10 funerals a year in 34 years of doing pastoral ministry, you can understand that it's more than 300 funerals plus many, many more beyond that. You add that to the fact that I've been in this pulpit leading, if you will, leading our congregation from this stage for more than 25 years. Man, a lot of those funerals have been my friends. A lot of those funerals have been people who, um, in the early days of my ministry, it was people that I didn't know, but not so much anymore. And families come to me and they say, will you conduct this funeral? And they, they, they expect, and I think the congregation that's gathered on the day of that funeral, they expect me to have somewhat of a, can I say a professional distance in the moment? There's a hope that, hey, the pastor will lead us through scripture, will give us some words of hope, will not be a blubbering idiot up there who then just pushes a bunch of emotional buttons and we all, we, we're hoping the guy can get us through this. You understand that? That idea of a little bit of a professional distance, if you will. But I tell you this, on many occasions, I've literally left this stage and walked into my office and the grief is poured out in dark sorrow and deep sobs. What do we do when we have that sense of loss, not just at death, but something that was really important to us and it's gone? How do we manage that? Let me put it this way. I think um, the contemporary church, church of the 21st century, We are so concerned about helping people understand the Bible. Fair enough. That's why we're doing 13 weeks through off the shelf. We're so concerned that people understand some of the demands and some of the expectations of living lives of called Christian lives and holiness and righteousness. There's been a swing though in the last 25 years away from talking about heaven. And I think we've missed the mark on that. Because friends, if we don't talk about heaven, we get focused on the period in between. And you know what? Before creation, all is well. And after creation, all is well. And that's all out of time. And if you think about where is the most amount of our lives going to be if we're followers of Jesus Christ, it's going to be over there, not here. How do we manage, though, when we're here in, this, in that ark and we're, we're in the stress and the tension and the struggle and yes, Jesus Christ is coming. We're coming by his grace and his death is, pro- is providing the vehicle for us to get to heaven. That's all great, but we're living in the tension right now. How do we manage that? Can I get you to turn over to Revelation chapter 22? The last chapter in the book. John the apostle is still writing And he still doesn't have full language to describe everything he sees. But take a look at this and see if it doesn't sound like the Garden of Eden being restored. The angel showed me the river of the water of life. It was clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So there's this place like a big city, but there's a river flowing through it. And that river flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So it's down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit in every month. We get to eat something different every month. Cool. And the trees of the leaves, pardon me, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. 
No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They'll see his face. (laughs) I'm anxious for that. His name will be on their foreheads. There'll be no more night. They'll not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Sounds like the Garden of Eden to me. A river of life flowing through the middle of the place where you live. That river coming right out of the throne of God and the Son of, the Son of God. Somehow they're within the leaves of the trees that are gathered around, there's healing for the nations. It's not just healing for just one particular group, but it's all the nations of the Lord, all the followers of Jesus Christ, of every tribe and every nation, every tongue gathered there, chatting and talking together, praising God for many reasons, one of which is that the curse of death is gone. We all see God's face. <laughs> and all sorrow and pain, it's all gone. I can hardly wait to um, see that river and see the face of God. It's going to be so different from this place where I live right now and where you and I live because we live in the tension. We live in the struggle. We live in the middle of the, toward the end of that ark, but we're still there. We're waiting for the moment of the second coming of Jesus Christ and all the things that happen after that to get to Revelation chapter 22. There's some people I want to talk to. I want to talk to Moses. What was it like at the Red Sea? I want to talk to Esau. Esau, what were you thinking? You sold your inheritance for a bowl of soup. Can you help me understand that? I want to talk to John Mark, the guy who wrote the book of Mark. Was it was that little bit in the, at the end of the book of, the book of Mark in the Garden of Gethsemane and there's a little boy, 12, 14 years of age, who watches the whole thing and he runs away naked because they try to grab him and he slips out of his clothes? Was that you? I want to ask that question. But beyond that, there's some family members like you that I want to talk to, some friends. Don't you have some you'd like to have a visit with? I never met my great-grandfather, but I want to talk to him. Born and raised in Australia, Sydney, West Coast. He, at 26 years of age, he and his young family, my grandmother was born in New Guinea. They left and went to New Guinea as Methodist missionaries. He, he was there for some 30 years, early 1900s, 26 years of age. I want to ask him, how much courage did it take for you to do that? I mean, to go up there and know you're gonna, your wife is going to birth children there? It, it, it'd be rough. If we, if we had somebody from our congregation come to us today and say, I'm going to be a missionary in, in New Guinea, we'd go, great, but that's, it's going to be a tough place. 400 different tribes, 400, 400 different languages in a tiny space half the size of Illinois. Imagine getting around in that. But in those days, if you went, you had, you had to be careful that you didn't become the next meal. Seriously. Headhunting and cannibalism was the way of life there. There's some other people I want to talk to. I want to talk to Lorne Barnett. How many have been around here long enough to remember Lorne Barnett? God. Mail, mail carrier. Died here in the life of our church, 47 years of age. Two young kids, preteen, cancer. His funeral was in this room. And um, I walked out to the, to the lobby after the service and there were 50, I counted them, 
five zero, fifty mail trucks circling the pale, circling the parking lot. Man, his death did me in. I want to talk to um, Alan Geneva Hexham. Some of you may remember them too. Sweet, unassuming couple, salt of the earth type people. Uh, Al used to come, he'd done it for decades. He'd stand at the back by that door when we only had one door in those days. It was the only door we had to get in this room. And he'd pass out bulletins and if you could get a word out of Geneva, you were lucky. You had to real, she was a very quiet, unassuming woman. And yet when they, when they died, we were stunned to discover they'd left the bulk of their estate to the church. And I want to say, why? And how did that come about? I want to talk to the children that I've had the horror of bearing, both the honor and the horror. And I want to ask them, you know, you left way too soon before we got to hold you. And there's this ache in your parents' arms that they lived with all their lives. Why did you leave so soon? I'm longing for the day of no more pain, no more loss, no more death. I'm longing for the days of joy and being in the presence of God Almighty. I don't know exactly what it's gonna look like particularly, but I live by faith and not by sight. You know, in, um, maybe I could put it this way. Our nation's greatest tragedy and struggle was the Civil War, mid 19th century. Um, in those four years, historians say we uh, lost 625,000 soldiers at a minimum. Maybe it was 800, as many as 800,000. And um, three quarters of them didn't die in battle, they actually died of disease and malnutrition or the conditions on, on, the, on the battlefield, not from actual being killed. If you were to add up all the people who died in war in the 20th century, First World War, Second World War, Korea, Vietnam, Desert Storm, and the other places where military um, people have lost their lives, if you were to add all those together, you wouldn't get anywhere close to the number of people that our nation lost in four years in the middle of that war. 2% of the population were killed as a result of that war. If you put that in our terms today, in four years, we would lose six million people, six million military people. One in 10 men between the ages of 15 and 16 and 40 died. Every family was impacted. The grief in our nation must have been horrific. The longing for better days, must have, it must have been over the, over, over the moon. I mean, they, they, they knew, they experienced a national sense of loss. In July of 1864, uh, three years into the war, there was a Baptist preacher from the, West, from the East Coast who um, was reading Revelation 21, 22, pardon me, about uh, the river of God. And uh, he penned some words that in our 21st century sensibilities seem a little bit archaic, but then on the other hand, what's been so sensible about the 21st century so far? Um, and I've asked Leslie to sing it for us today. About gathering at the river and getting to have those chats in the presence of God Almighty. 
If you know it, would you sing along with us? Shall we gather at the river Where bright angel feet have trod With its crystal tide forever Flowing by the throne of God Yes, we'll gather at the river The beautiful, the beautiful river Gather with the saints at the river That flows by the throne of God On the margin of the river Washing up its silvery spray We will walk and worship ever All the happy golden day Soon we'll reach the shining river Soon our pilgrimage will cease Soon our happy hearts will quiver With the melody of peace Yes, we'll gather at the river The beautiful, the beautiful river Gather with the saints at the BJ, would you pray for us, please? God, we are indeed thankful. Lord, we are grateful for the hope that you have given us. God, we know that this, this present life that we live in is, uh, is full of hardship and toil. Lord, you give us gifts of, of joy and, and sweet moments together with family and friends. And yet, Lord, it's so easy for us to see the brokenness around us. And yet, God, you've put us in this, in this place, in this this tension to give us an opportunity to show the hope that we have to others. Lord, may we always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And as we long, Lord, for the days when we will uh, be whole and we will be right and we will be perfect, Lord, may we, may we hold out the word of truth, the word of life uh, to those who are around us. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name.